The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so much of what we are being seen from your word is that you truly are ruler of all. And where we err is, is where we deviate from giving you your right place. We try to take over and, and rule. Today, we're going to look particularly at parents and children. When parents are using their authority improperly in the home, it takes you out of your right place. Where children fail to obey their parents and try to subvert their authority, authority given by you, again, we see devastation take place and hurt and a degradation of our witness as your called out people. So Lord, you are sovereign. Your word is true. And we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would use your word today to refine us even more because we need refining. Use this time for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Church, please have a seat. In the Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, a book probably familiar to many, we're introduced to a boy by the name of Eustace on page one. Eustace Clarence Scrub. Eustace Clarence Scrub. And Lewis says this about Eustace. I can't tell you how his friends spoke of him, for he had none. He didn't call his father and mother father and mother, but Harold and Alberta. They were very up-to-date and advanced people. Then in the next paragraph or so, we learn some more about Scrub. When the author says, Eustace disliked his cousins. His cousins were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. But he was quite glad when he heard that Edmund and Lucy were coming to visit, coming to stay. For deep down inside, now listen to what Eustace likes to do. Deep down inside, he liked bossing and bullying. And though he was a puny little person who couldn't have stood up even to Lucy, let alone Edmund, in a fight, he knew that there are dozens of ways to give people a bad time if you are in your own home and they are only visitors. And in light of our passage today, I'd say, or your parents. Children. This boy, Eustace, is a real disgrace. He's not nice at all. And later on in the book, he turns into a dragon. He's not the kind of fellow you'd look up to. But how does a child develop such a brutish personality? How does that even happen? Would you want to be described in the manner as this young man's being described? Of course not. 
And the advance and the answer to avoiding becoming a, a young person like Eustace is going to be preached on today from Ephesians chapter 6. So listen up. Similarly, parents, would you want your child to be known as a Eustace-like child? Of course not. Again, we, we hear this picture of this child described and we revolt at the thought of one of our children being known as such. But we all know that children like this do exist. And where do they come from? They're brought up in homes. They're brought up where families care for them. But the care that's being shown is a care that is blindly feeding into an ego that is not meant to be had by a child. And inevitably, someone is telling the child that whatever they're doing is fine, that they'll be okay. And then once they go into adulthood, those of us who are on the sidelines watching this, we're just waiting for the train wreck of this life to happen. We know that it's going to go careening off the tracks. How does such a child get turned out on their own in such a manner? I would say because what happens is authority isn't taken seriously. Authority isn't taken seriously. Parents first fail to recognize that God's authority has been given to them. Parents fail to recognize that God's authority has been given to them to train up their children. And entrusted with this charge to give them discipline and instruction. And children fail to recognize that they are under their parents' God-given authority. And that's designed by God. And when this gets mixed up, as I've just described, this is a situation that's primed for rebellion. Now listen to this. At the heart of rebellion is believing that you know better than those who have been put in authority over you. That you know better than the one true God who has designed things to work a certain way. This can be seen and observed even in the very beginning. And what I'm speaking of is the beginning of life, even as an infant. How often does an infant start to scream when they want to be fed? They demand food, and they'll scream even though the one that's about to feed them, the one who's going to nurse them, is preparing to feed them. They demand something. Very similarly, from infancy up to a little bit later on in childhood, how often do kids need sleep? They must have sleep and rest, and yet they kick against, they scream against, and they push away from the perfect environment that has been set up for them and the time given to them to get the rest that they need. It happens. Advance that child a few years, and the next thing we know, what they're demanding is entertainment. They want entertainment, but at no cost to themselves. They want what they want without having to actually pay for it or go through the effort to having it. Why? Because once again, this is rebellion. And in rebellion, you're always seeking the shortcut, never willing to take the path that is prescribed. And when this path, when this rebellious path is taken all the way into adulthood, 
you find that these individuals are constantly dissatisfied. Nothing ever satisfies this person. And they're loudly and constantly complaining about how they're not getting their way. Of course, when you're in rebellion, someone else is always to blame. Someone's always to blame for your lack of peace. And to put it in the language of our passage, it certainly isn't going well with you in the way that you're going. So where is the off-ramp? Where is the off-ramp to this, this disastrous path? You might be surprised to hear that it's actually embracing authority. Ultimate authority belongs to God. Ultimate authority belongs to God. And by his grace, he delegates authority, his authority, to parents. Therefore, parents are to rightly use their authority as it has been given, and children are to obey their parents. Obey their parents in the Lord. So throughout the family, parent and child alike must demonstrate obedience. Parents to God and children to parents, as in doing so to the Lord. This is right. And in doing so, you could say that obedience results in righteousness. When this is done rightly, obedience results in righteousness. And this is a far cry from the disastrous rebellion of the picture I painted previously. And dearly beloved, this is what we want in our home. Even as Ben was just praying during our, time, our pastoral prayers, we want obedience that results in righteousness in our home. And we're going to be looking at this today. We're going to look first, or I'm going to have a, a four, four sections to this sermon. We're going to look first at God's authority, which is ultimate authority. We have to start there. We're going to look at God's authority, which is ultimate authority. And then from there, we're going to go to the parent's authority, which is delegated authority. And children, which have no authority, have no authority. Better trust your parents. But you are under grace to have parents that should rightly carry out their authority over you. And the last one is parents' obligation to train up their children. And for all of this to work, we must begin with, like I said, God's authority, which is ultimate. As we go through the verses today, we're going to hit the, the verses repeatedly, but in this first section, we're going to start with Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3. These are the first two verses we're going to take a look at begins with, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. We start with verses two and three because it helps set the stage of where we are in terms of addressing the relationships within the home. You may recognize the passage even as you read it in your Bibles in front of you, notice that there's quotations around it. That means it has been brought forward from somewhere else. And it is from the Ten Commandments, from the Decalogue as it was given by Moses to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Exodus 20, verse 12. And that reads, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So very similar 
This law is from the Ten Commandments. And Jesus himself, in his teaching, helps us understand how the law is to be applied in our lives when he sums it up. He doesn't say it's completely dismissed. He sums it up and he says that we are to love God and to love our neighbor. We, he sums it up. And he doesn't say we, we just push it aside, but he, he embraces the law. In Luke 10, 27, he gives that answer. And in most of the gospel that we have recorded, there is some iteration of Jesus saying, this is how we follow the law. Love God and love your neighbor. This is God's commandment. But what gives God the right to make such commandments? Fairly obvious, I hope, but as it turns out, he made us. He's the creator. He's the author. He has author's rights over all creation. He gets to set the course. He can direct. He can command. That's his prerogative. Whatever is right to bring him glory, he can command. He has ultimate authority over his creation. He is sovereign over all. This is hit upon many times. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God created. In John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And then in Job, when God senses that his authority is being challenged by man, he responds in a fiery way. In Job chapters 40 and 41, God explains to Job how he created behemoth and Leviathan giants of creatures. And he said, I created them and I created you. I know what I'm doing, Job. Last week, we looked at the relationship between a husband and a wife. And in doing so, there we had to appeal to the authority of God as well. The man and the woman were both created equal in dignity, equal in worth, equal in value as image bearers of God, but then distinct and different in the roles that were given to them. And as God, the author of life, fashioned man and woman, he made them different, but so that when they come together, they're able to reproduce and join with God in his creative work. And from that, children, boys and girls, male and female, in kind, part of the plan of God. And those children are to be looked after. Those children are to be looked after. For as we all know, when children arrive, when they first arrive, they are extremely vulnerable, incapable of surviving on their own. They are vulnerable and they need to be cared for. But they are also extremely trainable and they need someone to train them. So who is it to be there for them? It's parents. God designed the parent 
And the parent must exercise the authority that has been delegated to them by God for these reasons. Now, that's what we're going to look at here next, this parent's authority, which is delegated authority. So we already looked at verses 2 and 3, but to begin with this, we've got to go back up to verse 1 of chapter 6, where it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And we're going to get to what the children are going to do in the next section, what's required of them. But first, we have to recognize the position of the parents. They are in the position of authority over the children. So absolute is their authority that children are commanded to obey their parents. It is commanded. Our first parents, when... Adam and Eve, when God brought them together, he gave them a charge to be fruitful and multiply. And as I alluded to, they did that. And that continues to happen. And children arrived on the scene not too long afterwards. God, like I said, allows us to cooperate with him in filling the earth and being part of his creative nature. But with that comes a big responsibility for parents. You have to use the authority that God's given you as delegated by God over the children that he also gives to you. Looking at verse two again, just the first section, it says, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. It follows the command of obeying. And immediately we see that God has done something to empower the parents in a special way. They have authority from God over their children, over their own children. This is extremely important to be heard by parents and children alike. Parents, you have delegated authority over your children. It's given to you, and it's given to you to be exercised over your children. Children, Very important for you to hear as well that your parents have been set up as authority over you and you are to obey your parents. You do not have authority over your parents. That's not the way God's designed it to work. They have authority over you. When God's authority is used by parents, this is a great blessing. It's God's design and it allows stability to enter into the community, into the family, through the family, and into the community, we get stability. And I don't want any of us to think that this is just automatic. I don't think any of us think that because it's not automatic. It's given as a command, but it takes a lot of work to actually exercise this rightly. The delegated authority that, that God has entrusted to parents depending on how it's used, can have positive consequences, but it can also have negative consequences. Positively, if the authority is used in conformance with the way God has intended it to be used, then God's righteousness is exercised in the home and his blessings follow. When God's righteousness is exercised in the home, blessings follow. But negatively, Conversely, when the authority is misused 
when parents don't use the authority that has been given to them rightly, and they actually use something completely different, then the, con- the consequences of that are condemnation and judgment. In Matthew 18, 6, we read, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I know it sounds cliche, but with, with great amounts of power come great responsibilities. Parents, you have great amounts of power over your children. You're in possession of this great power because God has decided that it is right for you to have it. It's his power delegated to you from the one true and ultimate authority. And the responsibility of parenting should not be taken lightly. Because I have no doubt in my mind that we as parents are going to be held responsible for the way we use that power that God has entrusted us with. But I also don't want us to be afraid of the power that God has given to us. Satan is working very hard all the time to take away what God has given and to change the order of things, to diminish the value of the family and the ministry that takes place from the family. For instance, I mean, there's going to be many, but for instance, our daughter Emily just turned 12. And when she turned 12, Vanessa has the kids on her my chart at Providence. Emily just dropped off. Why did Emily drop off when she turned 12? Because now, inside of the medical establishment, she's old enough to make her own medical decisions and should be able to communicate with her medical provider without her parent knowing what that communication's about. So again, authority is being taken away from parents. Is that God's design? No, it's not God's design. At the age of 12? But what other areas do you see? So this is just one. And I'm encouraging you as families to look and discuss what are other areas that you already see that your parental authority is being stripped away from you so that you can talk about it with your children and say, is this right? Is this the way God would have it to be? And some other areas I think of are in terms of consumerism. What are the things that your kids are wanting to buy? And why are they wanting to buy those things? What's driving the desire? What are the clothes that they want to wear? Why are they picturing that as something that they're really looking up to? Where does that come from? Remember who is ultimately responsible? It's you as the parents. So even though the kids are going to try to leverage great amounts of influence on you for the decisions they're wanting to make, you're the one that's going to be held responsible for the way they are brought up in your home. And as this discussion is happening, mom and dad, you're going to have to talk with one another and circle back and say, that's right, we need to be careful here. This is an area that God has entrusted us with over our kids, but it's being stripped away a little bit here and there. And we're the ones that need to be responsible. Children are going to go out of their way to convince you that they know better. They're going to go out of their way to convince you that they know better. But that is not in keeping with the scripture. And that's not in keeping with the duty that they've been given and the commandment to obey their parents. 
And children, we're turning our attention to you next in this next section. Children who have no authority. That's this section. And that might sound like it's not good for you, but it's God's design and it's for your benefit. Children, verse 1, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Children, you've been positioned in the home under your parents for your good. They are your provision from God to bring you up. It is commanded of you in Scripture to obey your parents. And this is where we need to focus. Majority of our time today is on this section because it is where the Scripture itself focuses. Children, you're obligated to obey your parents. How long do you have to maintain this responsibility of giving obedience to your parents? Does anyone want to know how long you have to obey your parents? Well, it's going to differ from culture to culture, but I'd say in our American culture, largely it would be appropriate for you to remain obedient to your parents as long as you are taking shelter under their roof. Okay? And I don't say that as a way to either expediently get you out of the house or to cause you to linger by having your parents say, you know, you have to stay here longer. And it's going to vary. I mean, some cultures, it, it is indefinite. The parents are always to be obeyed. But in our culture, and as we read the text, I would say that's a, just a, a rule of thumb you could go by. And that's going to push that age out to 18 to 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there. As long as you are taking shelter under the roof of your parents, you should obey your parents as is commanded. But then once you've been trained up by your parents, which is their job for you to train you up, you're going to see that that relationship inevitably changes. It's not one of just obeying my parents, but it's going to become more of that honor your parents. It's going to really help carry the load. It's no longer, I just need to obey my parents in an honorable way, but I want to honor my parents. I know them. I know I can trust them. I can go to them when I'm trying to figure out what to do. When this man I just met at college is starting to take more of an interest in me, and I don't know who else to talk to. Or it's time to buy a house. Should I really put my money there? And that relationship is going to carry through to those times. But children, you're obligated to obey your parents. And this is to be done in a submissive and trusting way as well. Obedience is not just an outward compliance. Outward compliance doesn't cut it. It's not a thorough obedience. It is just an adornment, and it's not acceptable. You need to give an, a, a through-and-through through acceptance of your parents' authority over you. And that's why it's specified in this verse, by, as obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. As long as your parents are executing their authority over you, rightly, you obey them as you would be obeying the Lord, 
And there's great blessing that, that comes from that. And I already touched on it briefly, but honor plays a role in this relationship. In verse 2, honor your father and mother. And you might want to know, well, what does honor really mean? It's not something we, we talk about a whole lot, it's honor. One of the, the theologians I was reading this week had a pretty good description, so I was going to share that with you because I found it helpful in my studies. This man, Bruce Waltke, writes, honor means that you have social esteem, you have gravitas, you have weight. And the idea is that you give your parents social esteem. People respect them. The way you give this to your parents is obeying them. Children that obey them give their parents honor. It shows respect. Now, do you remember the boy Eustace I brought up in the introduction? What type of honor do you think he gave to his parents? When Alberta and, who was it, Harold were pulling him through the neighborhood, what kind of honor do you think came along with toting little Eustace around town? I don't think much honor was there for his parents. And kids, whether you believe it or not, your obedience and your honoring of your parents or lack of obedience and lack of honoring of your parents is very evident for everyone else to see. So you might think you're being very discretionary by your lack of obedience and your lack of honor that you're showing to your parents. But it's very obvious. It's on display. And it grieves your parents and it grieves those who have to watch them dealing with disobedient and dishonoring children. It's not the way God established the family to be. And when the families operate in this way, it just it declines our whole community. It subverts the design God has for the family. Remember, husband and wife come together, have children. Children form the basic unit of everything, of all of society. And when God's plan is taken and subverted, it also corrupts the society that we live in. Although I've highlighted obedience as one way that you show honor to your parents. And I know you were paying attention earlier when I said that obedience can stop at some point. But however, the commandment to honor is ongoing. That's something that parents are going to have forever. And that's something that us adult children should be providing to our parents is honor. Honor your father and mother. And this is, again, tied to God's design. So how else, besides obedience, can honor be shown? Well, I asked a couple of adult or parents with adult children how they receive honor from their adult children, and I got some, some responses. And it may seem rather simple, but I figured I'd share them anyways. These parents said that when their adult children come and hang out with them, want to spend time with them, that that is honoring. When they come and spend time with their adult, with, when their adult children come back and spend time with them, that brings them honor. 
spending time. They also noted that they were honored when their adult children looked for specific ways where they could help meet the needs of their parents. Needs that as the younger, more maybe capable bodies that they had, or maybe more financially stable, could come along and assist their parents in a time when they're older. That was honoring. That they see that their kids actually cared enough about them to see needs that they might have and meet those needs. And just a couple of examples I thought of is this could be walking with an older parent as they're trying to deal with new technologies that have come along, technologies that they haven't been dealing with through all the iterations. And yet the younger ones typically have a pretty good grasp of what that, that stuff is and how to help. The other one is navigating the complexities of the healthcare system and insurance. That is challenging. And you could honor your adult parents, your older parents, if you came alongside them and say, this looks pretty confusing. Is there any way I could walk with you through this challenge and help you? That would be honoring. And there's another area, one that we don't really like to address head on. No one likes to bring it up because it's a challenging subject. And that's when mother and father, when your parents get to a point where they're no longer able to really take care of themselves. How do you have that discussion? How do you even start it? But we know that we can provide honor to our parents when they need help, when they're older. When they're no longer able to take care of themselves and need someone there with them nearly all the time. But that conversation has to happen. It has to start. And I'm not going to go into the specifics of how you even begin that type of a conversation or try to answer that from here because the details are too intimate for us to get into that from this perspective. But as a church, what we should do is recognize that this is a real part of life. And if someone we know is going through this stage in particular where they're trying to show honor to their parents and struggling to do so, that we come alongside our brothers and sisters and say, I want to pray with you, or I want to go into God's word with you and, and try to mine out the wisdom that God would have for you in this situation, or provide help in some way, because it is not an easy topic, but it is one, Lord willing, we all get to, to deal with at some point as our parents age and get to a point where they might need to have that extra help. Those are ways we can show honor. In honoring father and mother, verses, verse 2, there's more to it than that. It says this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and they may live long in the land. Now that we've looked at the commandments of obedience, how to obey and honor, we have to acknowledge that there's also a benefit. This is, there's benefits that come along with living in this manner, in this way. Paul is writing this, this portion of scripture to Ephesian believers, to the Ephesian church. And he includes this sentiment, this benefit, I claim, on the, the back half of Exodus 20, verse 12. Remember, in the original context, Moses is delivering these Ten Commandments 
to the people of Israel as they have been brought out of Israel or out of Egypt, getting them ready to go into the promised land. There is this, this great thing out in front of them, the promised land. So with this commandment to, to honor father and mother, there's this promise that comes with it, that it would go well with you, that you would be able to live long in the land, that God is going to give to you Israel. Now, as Christians, we don't have a promised land that we're going to here on earth. There's a place set up for us. But that doesn't mean there's not a benefit to living rightly. We know that when Israel failed to live according to the law God had given them, there was real punishment. And that punishment took the form of exile. They were removed from that promised land that God had given them and given over to a foreign nation, to an oppressive nation. And many times, they never were able to return. Maybe there were portions of Israel or Judah that were able to go back, but not everybody. There were real consequences. As children, you may have a hard time thinking of, well, what does it mean for it to go well with me? What would it mean for it to go well with me if I were to follow these commands? Well, to put it bluntly, it doesn't mean that you're going to get what you want, when you want, however you want. That's not what it means to go well with you. But what it does mean is you are going to be blessed with relationships, relationships that God has established as being good. First and foremost, a relationship with God, the creator, who set this order in place. And then relationships with those in the home, mother and father, siblings, the church community that you've been brought up in. Those relationships are going to last and they are going to bless you. And they are going to allow life to go well with you. But if you don't go along with God's plan, if you're not obedient, if you don't honor father and mother, it's easy to see that you quickly depart from those relationships that God has given you during your years of upbringing And you have to forge it anew, away from those protective relationships that God has given. And it can be very challenging. The goodness that God intends can be destroyed very easy easy by disobedience. And God always takes disobedience to parents very seriously. If you're taking some notes, just jot down two sets of scriptures, and look at this and ponder it a little bit later. Romans 1, 28 through 32, and then 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. In both of these sets of scriptures, as Paul writes, there's lists of all these horrible things that happen near the end times, and prominently placed in those lists is disobedience to parents. Read these later and ponder how disobedience to parents finds its way into such a list. And realize that God takes this very seriously. But children, this isn't meant to be a burden for you to carry on your own. This isn't meant to be a burden that is so heavy for you that you are crushed under the weight of it. Not at all. You see... Even though parents have been established as authority over you, they've also been charged with a job 
to give you discipline and instruction to prepare you for life after you move out of the home. And this is the, the last section we're going to look at. Parents' obligation, train up their children. Parents, this is your obligation, is to train up your children. In verse 4 of our text, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are being addressed as the head of the family. In Ephesians 5.23, which we looked at last week, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So it's right for fathers to be addressed first and to be addressed primarily. But we also know from what we saw last week is that husbands and wives come together and then are known as one in Ephesians 5.31. So in our text today, fathers are being addressed here primarily. They are not to provoke their children to anger, but as the head of the wife, and as they are one, and as children are produced from that relationship, this would bear equal weight for a mother not to provoke her children to anger as well. Ephesians has been rich with a lot of help for us as Christians. And back in Ephesians 4.26, it says, be angry and do not sin. And here today we're told to not provoke our children to anger. And it's one thing to, as an adult, even as a youngster, to have a righteous anger against any time that there's denigration being done against God or one of his fellow image bearers. And to say, that is not right. And I'm going to stand up against that. But we're not to sin in our anger. And as authority figures over our children, if we provoke them to anger, we're likely sinning against them, first and foremost. But then we're likely to cause them to sin as well. So that's why this is given to us. We are not to provoke to anger. It's not going to be helpful for their well-being but in order to avoid this, to avoid provoking your children anger, you have to know yourself well. Parents, you're charged with disciplining and bringing up your, parent, your children under the instruction of the Lord. In order to do that, you have to know yourself well. That as you go along in your duties, you do not provoke your children to anger. And you also have to know your children well. That as you're training them, that you are not inadvertently provoking them to anger. That means as they grow, as they, they change in their ability to assimilate information, your approach is likely going to have to change as well. And I know m most of us who have children of various ages have already witnessed that, that change that takes place. We do, we do not want to approach our children with brashness. We want them to be able to respond well. That means we need to be careful with the way we instruct our kids. And since I was spending time with this text this past week, getting prepared to preach, you can imagine that this comes up in our home. This comes up around the dinner table. So the other night we were talking about Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And this, was our, this is our version of table talk at the Rice household. Is we were talking about the passage that was going to be preached on on Sunday. 
So first, Vanessa and I had to talk to the kids about, well, what does it mean to provoke? Sometimes we say, don't provoke your brother. So we had to use that as a, to establish, well, what does pr provoking mean? Once we established that, okay, that's what provoking means. Then we had to be vulnerable to our kids and say, well, have we been provoking to you? Have we provoked you to anger in the way that we have been training you? And they gave us two examples of times where they were provoked to anger. So we, we heard those as a family around the table. The first one I heard, and the child related how the, the event went, and the child was angry. The child appealed to me. I wasn't the one that had levied the discipline in this instance. I heard the situation and, and what had taken place. I heard her appeal, and I changed the course. She was right. We were wrong. The second one, there was another event shared. Child said how they were provoked and felt upset. Heard the merits of the, the, the situation and sided with the parent. Like, this is, parents know better. You don't see the whole picture of what's going on in the home. And this ruling was placed upon you because it made for the well-being of the whole family. It helped per keep order in the household, which is very important for everyone. So I gave these to you as just examples of the way this discussion could, could happen in your place. And kids, some of you might be listening and say, yes, I need to have this talk with my folks so I can let them know all that's going wrong in our home. But even as I just shared, it didn't turn out that well for my, my kids as far as appealing everything that the parents said. The parents still have authority. We still shared with our kids, we have authority over you. Yes, we make mistakes. We do. But by the grace of God, we continue to work through those and be refined by the studying of Scripture. One of the other things we shared with our kids is you need to be in the Word. Kids, you need to be studying God's Word because this is where our authority comes from as given by God. And you can help hold us accountable to that by knowing the word of God. So before you get excited and say, wow, I'm going to have this discussion with my parents, ask yourself, how well are you spending time in God's word and submitting to it before trying to pull apart what your parents are doing in the home? And parents, as we are focused on, on us right now and our obligation to train up our children, don't be fooled into thinking as your kids get older, they're getting everything they need on their own because they're not. We need to have a Deuteronomy 6-7-like atmosphere in the home which says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is the way instruction is supposed to take place. It's, it's ongoing, and it's all the time in the home. And just as we mentioned earlier, children are obligated to obey their parents. But parents, you have an obligation to train your children. And you'll be held accountable for how well or how poorly you handle this delegated authority. I'm fully convinced that we will be held accountable for how we do in this life. 
It's going to have a very real impact on how your kids respond to Christ as you represent God's authority in their life. And if what we're fully after, what we're, we're striving for is obedience that results in righteousness, then we do want a response to Christ and his redeeming work. That's where we, are, we should be hit squarely in the middle of who we are as we're approaching this subject is how well equipped are my kids to understand the gospel by the way I am training them? This is what we need to be focused upon. Let's face it, if, if the proper authority lies with God who has delegated authority to the parents who are over the children, there is a chain of command, if you will. There is authority, there is continuity that must be done appropriately. Because when parents attempt to exercise authority that is not theirs, something that is outside of what God has charged them with, what they're effectively doing is positioning themselves above God. And that doesn't work. That puts you outside of God's will as a parent. And when children try to att or attempt to exercise authority over their parents or over God, that's putting the child outside of God's will. And being outside of God's will leads to total disaster. It always leads to disaster. But conversely, when authority is maintained as designed, it leads us on a path that is full of blessing. And it goes well with us, as our passage said today. Jonathan Edwards, a great American preacher, speaks of this path full of blessing in this way. He writes, In all your course, walk with God and follow Christ as a little, poor, helpless child, taking hold of Christ's hand, keeping your eye on the mark of the wounds on his hands and side, whence came the blood that cleanses you from sin and hiding your nakedness under the skirt of the white shining robe of his righteousness. Parents, this is your responsibility for your kids. You have been granted with authority over them, over your children, and you are to take them by the hand and to lead them, to lead them in such a way that they can see Christ, that they can see those wounds that were in his hands, that adorn his side. The steady sacrificial of love that you show your children as parents is going to be their best representation of who Christ is in their life. And children, so much of the focus today has been upon you. The text has demanded it. You are to obey your parents. But think about this. You're to obey your parents as Christ obeyed his heavenly father. In scripture, we know Christ's path was not an easy path. It was very challenging. Not easy at all. But do you recognize what Christ's path resulted in? 
it's a blessing for all. All of us have been blessed by the path that Christ walked because Jesus walked in perfect obedience to his Father. He did it perfectly, trusting, trusting the Scriptures and reliant upon the Holy Spirit. And his obedience resulted in our righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a a wonderful thing to be able to call you as our Father. We are humbled as parents and as children alike to think that you would impress upon us the importance of order in the home, that you would model for us so well through providing your own son, your only son, to go to the cross upon Calvary, to die for our sins that our sin burden might be taken care of, dealt with, so that as we approach life here on earth as sinners, saved by grace, we can humble ourselves before one another, before our children when we are wrong them, and children before the parents when they disobey. And we can see, as we go along this life, pursuing you, that your righteousness follows, that obedience does result in righteousness, and that you are glorified. Lord, that is our aim. That is our goal. That is what we want in our homes. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help these words to sink into us, that we would understand where the foundation of of their, their beginning even comes from, that it is rooted in righteousness where we have maligned your word, where we have misused our authority, we have tarnished what you have designed as good. We want to repent of that. Even as Ben prayed earlier, we want to do things rightly. We're not going to be perfect. But Lord, continue to guide us in your ways. May our families be blessed as we follow you. And may the community that you have placed us to live in be blessed. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of preaching. May it be useful for your will and for your kingdom's glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.